Hello everyone, I'm Cynthia Ichisum and welcome to Startup Stories with Cynthia. This is where we talk about the real, relatable, inspiring and exciting journey of startup founders. So, let's get straight into it. Hi guys, um, welcome back to another episode of Startup Stories with Cynthia. And trust me, I'm really, really excited about today's conversation because I have with me an amazing friend, an amazing person who is an expert in in his field. And I can't wait to draw some juices, right, from what he has to say, some really important content and insights from what he has to say about the story that we have been following for the past few weeks right it's been an amazing journey learning about this story and learning about their journey towards building this amazing startup right from diapers.com to jet.com still following the same founder mark Laurie. all right fantastic so i have with me benjamin benjamin is no ordinary person he is an environmental social and governance proponent he believes in profit and impact and he believes that they are entirely compatible. You know, he has a track record of creating ESD training curricula and facilitating ESD integration exercises for tech startups, for VC capital firms, for um, accelerator programs. And he also functions as an African focused VC scout. So here you go, guys. If you look, if you're looking for VCs, just know that uh, Benjamin is your plug, and he's a VC <laughs> scout for a host of you know notable notable vc firms from across africa north america asia so believe me when i say that he's your plug right your real plug and the thing about it is that he's also a venture builder and he mentors he supports startup founders in a variety of areas from product market fit to team cohesion to business development investment readiness fundraising and so on and so forth he's an amazing person and i'm so happy that we get to you know dissect this story and see what insight we can actually draw so that we can apply to our startup thank you so much benjamin for being here thank you thank you absolutely so, much. so happy to be here as well i've been looking forward to this man thank you so much okay. for having me <laughs> thank you fantastic okay so let, let's start from the beginning right let me just get yeah. like what do you think about what do you what do you think about the story just just do like a general overview what do you think about the story I mean, this this was a two-sided story for me, right? It was talking about the antecedents of the founder, the the founder um, himself, Mark Laurie, as well as the very typical startup journey of pursuing curiosity amidst so many, you know, um, 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 obstacles, and yet mm-hmm. still becoming very very successful at the end. So yes, it was it was very intriguing from the start to the end, right? Lots of suspense, lots of aha moments lots of oh yeah finally <laughs> so yeah all right all right fantastic okay so let's start from the first startup that he launched i mean mm. the entire you know idea in itself of starting a company that was you know bent on making losses right what do you think mm. about that strategy especially when you think about the african ecosystem i mean do you think it's a startup can survive that long like what do you think about you know him starting such a crazy idea from the get-go you know of launching a business that isn't going to make any amount of profit 
Hmm. You know, they are very two different contexts, right? So back then in the US, you know, uh, it, it would be a lot different than the current market nurses in Africa. But generally speaking, I can tell you that that must have been very, a very, very difficult endeavor to pursue. I mean, especially when you have competitors who are physical retail stores, right? Who can easily drive down the prices of the products and who have direct access to manufacturers like um, Procter & Gamble and then you don't have that kind of connection. It's a very risky endeavor to to follow, right? So regardless of the fact that, you know, oh, you're serving a big market. I mean, you're taking into consideration things like overhead costs, you know, cost of operations, payroll, you name it. And then you're not making profit. <laughs> you're selling way below you know retail price mm -hmm. but what i loved about what mark did right was that he prioritized customer experience mm -hmm. right and yeah. in today's wow. world that is what really moves things around so <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to say this to as much startup founders who are going to listen to this right never underestimate the power of prioritizing customer experience and selling convenience right because more often than not customers and um, customer purchases are more emotional driven and logical driven yeah right so they would seek to always you know patronize brands that make them feel special maybe give mm -hmm. them a sense of belonging or they communicate empathy your respect or freedom whatever the case may be yeah. right so customer experience is really powerful and that's really you know panned out well for them in the end mm -hmm. I think I think I really love the fact that you touched on something really powerful there, which is customer experience, prioritizing customer experience. I mean, it's so important, but for some reason, I think most startup founders tend to miss it. What advice, like what kind of guide would you give to startup founders so that they can, you know, define, you know, a their the customer experience they want to give to their customers? Like, what's that process for defining that so that they can put an emphasis on on that in their in their process and then you talked about you know communicating freedom communicating so how do they go about that communication right especially when they're really, really young in, in the process yeah so in today's world of agile product management or product development there's what they call human-centered product design which means you're putting people at the, at the front and center of what you're building and that would entail that you constantly have what they call a feedback loop where you're constantly engaging your customers to learn about you know um how they're interacting with your products um what they like what they, what they do not like what they'd like to see in the future considering all of this is in place i mean it would be very very um, um, um expected that a company a, a startup would be very nimble right mm -hmm. to make adjustments where needed so yes first thing you want to prioritize is having a very very open communication channel with your existing customers especially the most active customers that you have and then again you you really want to touch on the branding part of a startup as well you want to communicate to startups that you're you're you are a part of their lives you're 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 existing because of them and yeah. one, thing, one thing that's very powerful about that is, I mean, just by that, um, what you will tend to have people reach out to you even when you do not ask for feedbacks or solicit their feedbacks to be like, hey, you know what? Now, this is what I'd like to get um, in this product. This is what would, look most, would most likely keep me coming to use your product. 
So things things like this are very very critical for startups to consider in today's world, mm-hmm. where you know um, competition is always on the rise, market yeah. nuances and uncertainties are like crazy. You want to move customers from just buyers to becoming ambassadors, mm-hmm. and then these are two very critical things to consider. Fantastic, Fant- you guys just got a masterclass right there, guys. You just got it. so <laughs> I, I trust you're making you're making very important notes, right? All right, so yeah, that's that's actually very fantastic. Thank you so much, Benjamin, for that uh, interesting insight. So I think I want us to touch on like how about the idea of diapers.com. I mean, it's interesting how we went, you know, to the internet, went on Google, different names, and then he bumped. It's very different from you know other people's or other founders' journey towards like their own startup. What do you think about that? particular method of finding an idea? It's it's a very unique one because it's not one that is mostly spoken about even in the startup entrepreneurial space. Um, So I'd like to rather term it as um, problem validation strategy. Mm. Um, Because again, you have an idea at the back of your mind, right? But you're just just trying to know how pervasive this problem is, right? How widespread it is, how people are engaging this problem. Or this particular you know situation and so google really helped out mark to like understand oh diapers is you know a prominent buzzword on the internet and and people people were actually you know probably seeking out ways to purchase or looking to learn more about diapers especially newly um new mothers right so in the context of the ecosystem um it is very, very valid that, you know, one of a startup strategy would be to perhaps go online to understand, you know, um, just use Google Analytics, for example, right, to to sort of measure the interactions around your subject matter, right? If you're playing the retail space, you can double down to specific keywords, right? Mm-hmm. If you're playing in the fintech space, uh, maybe financial inclusion in, in East Africa, double down to, you know, um, very specific keywords like that and funny enough we happen to have a very very relatable situation mm. so in at the consulting firm where I work with where I work at my my senior partner Henry you know I remember when he brought me in and was trying to let me know how he has stumbled upon the concept of sustainability and how it mm. could be the next big thing in Africa as we mm. found in other climes right especially Europe so he told me how we went on Google to like run through you know <clears throat> the buzzword and the found out that a lot quite a lot of people were engaging with world sustainability trying to understand what it was and all that so that's sort mm-hmm. of giving this eureka moment to understand okay i just might be onto something here and perhaps this would be more unique for people venturing into relatively new spaces mm-hmm. right because again when we engaging sustainability about two years ago it mm-hmm. wasn't as it wasn't a, a common word as we had as we have today, right? Especially in the startup ecosystem. So that really did give us the the leverage and the confidence to like continue on the journey. And it's been quite a very, very amazing one so far. So yes, wow. startups should try to leverage this as much as possible. Mm. Wow. Wow. I love that problem validation. It's more or less like the, the principle of you know, trying to make sure that you're not the only one who thinks this is actually a problem. There are uh-huh. many other people, you know, <laughs> not, stay. Not just you are your startup team members. Exactly. <laughs> Good. Exactly. 
So there are many other people yeah. who, you know, for a fact, have highlighted that this is a big problem for that for them, and there is no, you know, solution. There's no simple way of, you know, solving that problem. That's super, super valuable valuable because i mean one of the things that we're going to be looking at in the startup dev course which you know i hope you all know it was starting pretty soon the doors have been closed because like so far we have about 90 people who have registered and if if i open up the doors a bit more i know i'm going to reach 100 and i'm trying to make sure that you know we're able to get the value (laughs) i you know passed across but one of the underlining um principles we're going to be looking at is you know trying to find out if you're if, trying to find out if you're not the, you know the only one who thinks it's actually a problem and what um, Benjamin mentioned is a very very important thing you can go online you can see what what conversations are going out on right now regarding that particular industry or that particular problem and I think that's really really valid thank you thank you so much for um, for highlighting that you know because that's like super super valuable okay so let's talk about Let's talk about, you know, Jet.com, you know, Jet.com rising up from, I would say, rising up from the dead. So he Mm -hmm. gets into Amazon and then he has that privilege of, you know, knowing how Amazon works and then seeing all the faults and then coming out and saying, I think we're not done with this vision. I think one thing that really stood out for me was the part where he said that, you know, he had the mission, right? He moved on from this mercenary mindset to a missionary mindset to mm. not just about how can I make money, like when you were still young, you know, mm. to actually going on a mission to, you know, make the lives of people better in a sense, right? And you felt like Amazon cut, cut short that, that vision. So what do you think about startup founders? How do you think they can get to that point where, you know, they can have that missionary mindset? Because I think that's what really, really fueled you know, that desire to start again because it, it takes a lot for you to decide to start again after something mm. uh, like that, just closing up like that. So, like, how can startup founders generate that, you know, of, you know, coming up with a mission and a vision? What do you say? Mm. Yeah, first of all, I'd like to start off with, you know, explaining more about what I really love about Mark Lore as a person. So, I remember in episode one where you, was, where, uh, <clears throat> you, you, you spoke about, you know, how he was challenged in school, right? I like, man, mm-hmm. you you probably can't get into university. Like, he was being mocked, literally. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. he went on to make straight A's, right? <clears throat> yeah. And then he got into school. Now, that's a very, very key character trait of an entrepreneur. They mm-hmm. never say die spirits. The mm-hmm. resilient spirit. It is very, very crucial, right? So, as a startup founder, you must be absolute in your approach to solving a problem. You must know how to zero in on it and stay there. And you must know how to maintain a high level of doggedness. Competition, market uncertainties are real. You Mm -hmm. must know how to stay there. So two key things will stand out for me now. First off, you must know how to follow your inclinations as a person, right? So Mm -hmm. first, that's why we have um, solutions that's you know again facebook of today wasn't the facebook of five years ago right yes. or six years yeah. ago so there's this let me use this mm. there's this pilgrimage mindset you need to set out on pilgrimage you, mm. you need to see yourself as a pilgrim that you're on a journey and you constantly be on that journey there's really no not no destination in some sense right and that's what until you stick into your inclinations your um but Einstein calls it holy curiosity, right? Mm. You must know how to stick it out until you stumble upon something. Just seek to be 
like you must have that voyaging mindset, right? Yes. It it really does help a startup founder, right? Just stumble upon amazing things going forward. Another thing that will start up that that will start out for me would be to find yourself in a community of like-minded folks, because yeah. again, entrepreneurship is very lonely, super duper lonely. Um, yeah. As much as possible, you want to find people that fan your flames. This could mm -hmm. be a group that as much as possible, just so you never mm -hmm. get to lose focus of what truly matters, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Like many points to note there, many points to note there, because I think having that missionary mindset, having that vision, you know, even though in a sense, Amazon closed down like the entire, you know, business that he had going, the vision was still the same. And because he had not achieved the vision, he was able to start up something that still had that vision at, at its core. Right. And mm. that's really, really beneficial. That's the power of vision. Vision has this eternal vibe or eternal um, elements to it, right? Where regardless, you know that this is something that will outlive you, and that's like exactly. super, super valuable there. So, I mean, let's talk about let's talk about fundraising. So, this guy, uh, you know, I mean, he, I think I would even say he's already an expert at fundraising because at the yeah. early stage when he started his first business during the dot com um, bubble, right? He raised a mm -hmm. lot of money to be able to start a business, you know, that in in a sense. It makes sense, but in a sense, it doesn't make sense, right? <laughs> but then now he gets to this stage where he started Jet.com and he has to raise lots and lots of money. But you realize that he actually got a lot of news than yes. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's like a factor of the fact that, you know, there's an there's a investment, will I say, fundraising climate in a sense, right? And how that influences mm. when you can raise. There's also the factor of your industry. There's also the factor of your of the idea you have, there's also the factor of, you know, the availability of funds, right? So, given your experience as a VC scout, like, what insights can we draw from Mark Glory's fundraising, like, fundraising journey? And, you know, how can we apply that to, like, the startups in Africa right now who are seeking out funding? Mm. Now, you see, when Mark Glory was, was raising back then, right, that was during the DOSCOM era, so it would be very easy or applicable to say that, oh, there were probably enough money to go around, right? <laughs> so many on the, so much money on the table and, you know, just come and grab yours, so yeah. to speak. But yeah. one thing you know that even amidst all of that, competition was still very real, right? Mm. People were still building remarkable businesses. And if you weren't just that rich, you wouldn't get the money. If you weren't awesome, you get it. It's, it's a fact. So Mark Law having to raise from 60 angels, that's a lot. I mean, mm -hmm. they didn't have angel list back there, no syndicates. <laughs> it's not mm -hmm. as structured as we have today. So you can imagine the hassle he, need to, he had to go through, right, just to you know gather these funds. Now, yeah. what I can say to that is, as a founder, being able to really galvanize capital, like um, rally around and then build your startup is a lot of work. It's, it's, it's almost, synonymous to building an entire different company because it's very time consuming. Yeah. And so one thing Mark Law probably got right was that he must have really been a very hardworking fellow, dedicated and committed. And then it wasn't so hard to, you know, be communicated to investors. Like investors could literally see the drive, see yeah. the vision, see the time, especially the timeliness of what he was building at that time. Mm -hmm. Right. And then to be like, okay, now we can see this business. 
and then we should hope to get very very um promising returns in the future now fast forward to today and in africa where there 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 isn't so much access to capital really especially yeah. in the african continent yeah we got to, to 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 witness you know quarter and quarter growth as far as capital raise across africa and it's very very encouraging to say the least but really as an entrepreneur more than the you really want to prioritize building products that matter and building credible relationships along the line you want to really focus on building and not so much about zero fundraising craze around the deal valuation and seeking out investors first of all build a product customers love right and then the money would follow so that's really one right um mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. secondly what i can say is really don't don't underestimate the power of relationships so as a vc scout at the moment i'm scouting for more than 40 visas across sub-saharan africa northern america and asia and i get to speak with startups every week right and then there's like man can you just help out with access to vcs um i don't want to have to go through all of that stuff uh it's not my thing i don't pitch i don't i i can't really put in the work so if there weren't so much scouts imagine out of it how out of it it would have been for some so for some startup funders to raise funds right mm -hmm. so um we, we we're constantly in a space where where funders have to come out of their shells to even understand what investor relationship means and double down on it again there isn't so much capital to go around but you should also you know try to you know do the needful to make sure that you're not left out of the conversation right mm -hmm. awesome so, awesome yeah. awesome i mean i like the fact that you highlighted that he highlighted that he's the vc scout for over 40 40 you guys send him a dm on linkedin right then you may on LinkedIn. Who knows? You might be the next McLaurin, okay? <laughs> All right. So, so let's talk about let's talk about post. You know, postjet.com, you know, Walmart showing up on the scene and deciding to buy, you know, jet.com just one year into it. So I'm sure the gist must have gone around, you know, in the industry. And so it was pretty clear that these guys were up to something. But I also how I also love how you know strategic this partnership i would say you know is because right now if you think about the impact of jet.com on walmart it's such mm. it's so incredible like that transformation that transition into you know a company that is very very well in tune with the ongoing technological changes right now in its industry it, it's it's jet.com was very very strategic in that in that entire process and so you know, right now, Walmart is thinking beyond, you know, I mean, Amazon has introduced the fact that, you know, going to have drones and whatnot. Um, Walmart is mm -hmm. already into it, right? They're already into drones and, and incredible, incredible um, projects, right? So first, I think first question I'm going to point out to you, what do you think about this Walmart and Amazon war, I would say, that is going on right now? And then maybe we'll now feed that into, into like Nigeria. The latest news that we got in just recently is the fact that Amazon is coming to Nigeria. I mean, given the mm -hmm. fact that we're talking about the story like Jet.com, should we, should we be worried? 
you know, should Jumia be worried that they might get a threat tomorrow? You know what I'm saying? So, um, what do you think about Amazon coming to, you know, Nigeria? You know, because that was very specific coming to Nigeria, and what do you, how do you think that can impact, you know, the entire ecosystem, like the entire e-commerce ecosystem? Do you think it will drive a lot of the growth, right, in the e-commerce space, or do you think it's actually going to stifle down a lot of our African indigenous um, startup founders? What do you think? Mm, so I think we're going to witness collaboration more than competition. Because mm. if, there's, if there's one thing I understand is Amazon, they have infrastructure. And Africa mm. is in dire need of infrastructure. Now, imagine if Amazon's That's what you do. Um, Know, logistics and then intra Africa logistics space. We well, know how it is to, I think, I saw some, some, some time ago, how easy it is to ship your product to the US than it is to ship to, say, a country in Mali or Senegal. Mm. Right. So, really, we need the infrastructure. We need them. We need, so, it would be that the likes of Jumia and any other mm. existing players in that space should, should, it would to meet um, Amazon halfway. Right to be like, okay, now this is where we need help, and this is what we can do for you guys. Right, Junior has all the old understand the space, they have the network, they have the customer base at least to begin with, and mm-hmm. then Amazon can simply come with their innovation, their their expertise, and their infrastructure, and then together they can work to make mm-hmm. it tailored to the African context. So, I believe, mm-hmm. <laughs> unlike places like California, where we're drones. Uh, that mm-hmm. may not be entirely, you know, um, um, welcome in a place like Africa, right? I mean, for various reasons, electricity, theft, you name it, crazy things, crazy things happen here. So it would, <laughs> it would serve well to have both parties come to that table to be like, um, okay, let's find out how this would work for Africa, right? So it's mm-hmm. it is really a very long term play, and. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I would expect that they, they approach it that way rather than seeking how to, you know, um, cut each other, cut the other person short and just like uh, suck up the entire markets, right? We need them and they need us. So, yeah, it should be a very interesting time for intra-African trade. And now we are, we are seeing some uh, momentum kick off with the whole AFTA agreement, right? The African Free yeah. Trade um, yeah. Agreement. So, imagine if we can ride on that wave, right? Yeah. <laughs> There's no telling... In Africa, no tech. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I, I I absolutely agree because I mean, think about how Amazon works in other in in America, for example, right, where mm. they are highly dependent on you know fulfillment centers and third party mm. logistics, you know, dispatch riders in a sense, right. So imagine what that would do for the logistics space, right? It's even beyond the e-commerce, right, um, because. Mm. What they, what they did, one of the projects, one of the programs I know that they did in America was the fact that they funded a lot of third-party, you know, um, logistic agencies in a sense. So you, as an entrepreneur, you can try to start delivering items for Amazon within your vicinity or within whatever area that you can actually get done. And so mm. that actually drove a lot of entrepreneurship you know young people who had like some spare time could just deliver 
and from there you see one person having like 20 30 drivers under amazon because they are fulfilling fulfilling orders for amazon so yes we're gonna we're gonna see like that growth in that aspect and and um, I think I think what I definitely think that what you said is true is just for Jumia to look at okay what is it that you know Amazon is totally dependent on or what do they need and how can we come in based on our you know experience and you know years of you know being in in Nigeria how can we provide that support you know you know how and can we collaborate for, for the sake of the industry for the sake of the mm-hmm. continent especially given the fact that we're still you know, really, really young in a lot of mm. all these structures and facilities. So yes, I agree to that. I agree to that. So I I want to also add something, right? So beyond the likes of not forget, yeah, so we have the e-commerce, we have retail players. So we have the likes of Trade Depot, we have the likes mm. of Wasoko, right? Yeah. Who are who are who are constantly figuring out how to how to really scale hyper growth, you know delivery right last mile delivery this yes. <laughs> these guys have have been, have been very awesome in that space uh, we have mm-hmm. like hadi a very new player in abuja at the moment you should probably yes. um, check them out as well so these are players what, what's the name? Of, say, that, say that again the name of the startup in in abuja hadi h-a-d-i okay okay H-A-D-I. okay okay yeah so um it's such an interesting time to see that there are so many stakeholders on the table not just e-commerce players right yes. and then just imagine the the diversity of of the level of solution we can bring to the table right so yeah interesting times but ahead really definitely 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 one space one space to watch all right i think i think this is really it i, I love this conversation we're able to draw some really interesting insights from looking at you know how a startup founder having like a vision to you know being in tune with your customers you know, trying to confirm you you know you're not the only one. You know, if you're the only one who's actually thinking there's a problem, you know. And we just thought in a, a couple of things, and I I dev I'm sure that you know the startup founders who are listening are drawing incredible insights and are going to apply um, to their startup. So just to um, go over it for those who have signed up for the course, you're going to be getting a mail from me pretty soon. So look out, you know, for that email. But this conversation was wonderful. Thank you so much, Benjamin, for being Absolutely. part of this. I enjoyed the conversation. And guys, I can't wait to share the next story with you. So be on the lookout. We'll go on a short break, but we'll be back with a very, very full story to tell. All right. I'll see you soon. Cheers. All right. Cheers. All right. So there you have it. Thank you so much for listening up to this point. I'm really excited that you stayed all the way to this point where you're hearing my voice. But don't just keep this to yourself. Share with community, friends, family, startup founders that you know will really, really need this. And also, send me a DM of how this has helped you or in what way you were blessed by it. You can send me an email, send me a V, and I'll be really, really excited to receive it. All right. There you have it. I remain Cynthia Ichisum, and this is Startup Stories with Cynthia.